it's a small enough room that if I get too far away from the mic, you'll hear me anyway, because you know I like to move around a little bit. I don't have my cordless mic, so we'll deal with it, right? Hey, this morning, Pastor Bill mentioned to me that we didn't have really the recording capabilities that we normally do over at the VHM. We don't have our equipment here. I think there will be tapes, but not just, you know, because we go on the radio and things like that. So with that in mind, rather than people thinking that we're skipping a a chapter in the Bible because it doesn't matter on the radio or on our website, we're going to hold off and we'll do the second half of Hebrews chapter 10 next week. But I believe this is absolutely providential because... God's been burning something in my heart as your pastor that over the last several months and even over the last several weeks, just the the need that we have to get back to living holy lives. Amen? So turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at this chapter this morning. It is good stuff. Deuteronomy, just real quickly, I'm going to take a few moments because I think context is key. Deuteronomy means second giving or the second giving of the law. If you will recall, the first generation did not enter into the land of promise after being delivered out of Egypt because they did not trust God. They disobeyed His command to go into the land. They saw the giants in the land. They thought they knew better than God. And they did not enter in. And because of it, they instead wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses too smote the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. Remember, he got angry with the people. So he was not going to be able to enter into the land of promise either. So this is a long, the book of Deuteronomy is a long message from Moses to the generation that's going to enter into the land of promise where there were going to be giants, where there are going to be idol worshipers, where there was going to be temptation, but also where the center of God's will existed. And so this entire book is this exhortation from Moses making this encouragement to these who have been delivered out of bondage. Now, so far, just quickly to bring you up to chapter 6, he's been looking back. He's been reminding them of their deliverance out of Egypt. Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. They were delivered out of Egypt, if you will remember, through Passover, the final of the plagues that came. Remember, all the plagues came but the Pharaoh would not let them go. Anybody seen the Ten Commandments? You know what I'm talking about, right? He would not let them go. He would not let them go. He would not let them go. And finally, Passover came. Passover was the plague that came upon those who would not take the blood of the Lamb and put it on the top of the door, both sides and at the foot. Again, a picture very clearly of the cross. The blood of the Lamb being applied in the shape of a cross. Who in the world is that talking about? That's Jesus Christ. And so those who were delivered out of bondage in Egypt or a picture of the world or a type of sin are those who applied the blood. It wasn't enough to, to slay the lamb. They had to apply the blood. And it's not enough to believe that Jesus Christ is God. We must accept Him as our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King. Amen? And so it must be applied to our lives. And when the blood is applied, we escape out of the bondage of sin, and we are now set free in Him. Then they passed over the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism. That outward statement of an inward change, that proclamation that I'm recognized, I want my life to be recognized with the Lord. Their backs were against the wall. They had to enter in by faith to this wide open sea. They get to the other side, and we know that what happened was, sadly, they began to murmur against God almost immediately. You know, God delivers us, and then we murmur. 
God is so great. Do we have anything in the world to ever complain about ever? What's the answer? We're going to heaven, amen? And that's not going to change. You get a flat tire, you're still going to heaven. You lose your job, you're still going to heaven. Somebody mistreats you, you're still going to heaven. We need an eternal perspective. God help us to get our eyes on eternity, amen? But they got over to the other side. They get to Mount Sinai. We know what happens is Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law from God. And while he's up there, his assistant pastor, Aaron, his brother, is down at the bottom of the hill and they make a golden calf. They make a god in the shape of the gods they just left in Egypt. They tried to be like the world. Guys, the church is not to be like the world. We are not to mimic the world, try to entice the world. Look how much we are like you. You know, our prayer ought to be that we are so radically different from the world that people are blown away. What is up with you guys? We got Jesus. That's what's up with us. Not that we're just like the world. And so sadly, they get to the other side. He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. What does he see? They're dancing around the golden cow. And Aaron says, oh, oh well, yeah, the, we, we just do the good. It just popped out of there. So he's a liar on top of an idolater, right? Great assistant pastor, by the way. You got three million whiners in the wilderness and assistant pastors making golden calves. I thought it was tough pastoring a church in Santa Cruz, right? So finally, in continuing to look back, he speaks about how as they were headed there, there were still yet two and a half tribes when they finally got there, and we'll see this in, you would see this in future chapters, who decided to settle outside of the land of promise. Who said, you know what, you're going to go over into the land of promise, but you know, we're, we're pretty happy right out here. You know, we've already got everything we could possibly need. We don't want to cross over the Jordan and into the land of promise. We just want to stay right here really close to God's highest. Guys, that is where most of the Christian church, I believe, today is camped out. Just outside of God's highest. Satisfied to be saved, satisfied to be delivered out of Egypt, but not wanting to press into all that God has for us because I might have to give something up. Maybe there'll be some trials on the other side. Guys, and there's no maybe about it, there's going to be. Because it's through trials that God is glorified and our lives are impacted, amen? And we're able to impact the world around us. So, so far, he's been talking to them how they've misrepresented God, how they've, they've turned to, to idols, and how that entire generation wandered in the wilderness and died because they refused to enter in to the land of promise. They saw the giants in the land and said, forget it, we're not going in. But then he begins to look ahead, because this next generation is going to go in. And he reminds this next generation, not just of the words that were spoken, but how they came. Guys, we need to remember where this book came from. We need to remember not just the words in it, but who delivered it. These are not the opinions of men. This is the word of Almighty God come down from heaven. Amen? And it needs to hold a high level of reverence in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes, in our attitudes. Nothing makes me more sick to my stomach than to hear the word of God being challenged by a godless world or by those who claim to be Christians, the quote liberal theologians that I will call simply false prophets who will try to say, well, yeah, but the Bible, that was cultural. And that doesn't really apply to us today. These are just the opinions of men. As you've heard me say a thousand times, so a thousand and one won't hurt. It's amazing how it is 66 books, written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages, over 100 years, 1,500 years, with one central theme and no contradictions. We know that's only possible because God wrote it. Man used was a tool in the hand of Almighty God who wrote the book. And he's reminding them, by the way, when these words came, he spoke from Mount Sinai, audibly. 
And all the people went, oh, right? And they said, don't, don't, Moses, you go up there because if he talks to us anymore, we will die. Guys, we need to get that kind of reverence for the Word of God again. To where we don't just go, well, that's kind of God's opinion, and we could take that or leave it if we want, and it's a good guideline for life, but you know, not so much for me. That doesn't really apply to my life right now. I'll tell you, and again, you're hearing from your pastor's heart, but I'm sick of it. I'm really gotten to the point, I'm sick of it. I, I, I've started to question people, are you saved? People say to me, well, Pastor Dave, but that, you know, that's the Bible, and that's not... That doesn't really apply to my life. And if I want to go do other things, if I, want to, if I want to just totally live contrary to the Word of God, what's the big deal? The big deal is you're rebelling against the Creator of the universe who loved you so much you'd rather die than live without you. And you, you are His treasured possession and you are mocking Him. You're looking at Him in the face and telling Him, God, I don't need you. I want to go my own way. That's what the big deal is. And guys, we cannot take the Word of God lightly. It's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Amen? The fire came down. This was God's almighty God's word. Guys, when we realize what we have in our hands, shouldn't we be reading it more? Shouldn't we spend more time? Imagine if we just got rid of the newspaper and started reading this. This is better news anyway. Amen? I'm not saying the paper is wrong. I'm just saying sometimes we know more about what's happening in the city than we know what's happening in the word. We know what's happening in the government. Again, we should be about understanding the government, but I hope I know the Word of God better than I know the minutes on C-SPAN. Amen? The Word of God, this is what transforms our lives. And this is the heart of Moses as he's writing this letter. He's telling them that worship is the high, that obedience is the highest form of worship. These commandments were given for godly behavior, a, a, a standard for a holy living. And unless you come to realize your sinfulness, you'll never see your need for a Savior. So the Word of God reveals our sin, our need for a Savior, and also gives us a clear pattern of living a life holy and set apart unto God. All that to say this. This morning's chapter, he's going to continue to emphasize to this next generation that is going to enter in, having watched all of their parents drop dead in the wilderness, as they get ready to head in, he's reminding them and exhorting them with the important significance and blessings of walking in obedience to the Word of God. You know what? He will always establish, he will also establish what Jesus will later refer to as the greatest commandment in this chapter, written in the book of Deuteronomy. The commands, the Word of God, should not only be in their heads, but in their hearts. That it should be taught to their children. That it should be talked about all day long, on their hands, before their eyes, written in their homes. And that disobedience to God's word and his commands should not be taken lightly, but will indeed result in righteous judgment. Now, I don't know if Pastor Bill had a chance to get the outline into the bulletin. Is it in there? Okay, you got the outline. The title of the message is For the Love of God. Why do we obey him? Because we love him and we trust that he knows what's best. Amen? Now, the Bible says, if I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the only way I can walk in obedience to God is if the Spirit of the living God is upon me, leading and guiding and directing my every step. So here's the four points for the love of God. First, he's going to exhort them to make God's Word not a priority, but the priority. The priority in their hearts, in their children, in their lives, and in their homes. Number two, for the love of God. He's going to warn them about things that will cause them to forget God's commands. The things we're going to see are physical blessings. Sometimes we're so blessed we forget God's commands. A lack of godly fear. 
the temptation of false gods and disobedience. Third, we're going to see the blessings of obedience. And finally, God's commands, a constant reminder of God's deliverance. Again, for that future generation. So let's begin in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. For the love of God, exhorting them to make God's word the priority. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment. The commandment. In Hebrew, this is an emphatic here. The commandment. And he's going to boil the law down to one ruling principle. One commandment which encompasses all of the commandments. We'll get to it in verse, in a, in verse four, 5. Excuse me. So then he says, And these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. Now, statutes and judgments is a reference to the Ten Commandments that He had just given them in the previous chapter. And He's saying to them, these are the commandments. God has commanded you to hear this. Now, back in chapter 5, verse 1, don't look there. You don't need to, but there's a progression. Here's what He tells them in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, hear the Word, learn the Word, and then observe the Word. Guys, God wants us to hear the Word, to learn attentively, to spend time in the Word, to hear it. Then to learn it, not just hear it, but reading it and understanding it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to be thoroughly instructed in the will of God. got an email from Brittany Hunter this week, and she was telling me how that she had to memorize the entire book of Galatians for one of her classes. And she got up and, and verbatim gave the book of Galatians. Is there, you know what? We all ought to be doing that. Hide God's Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Amen? Not just hear the Word, but learn the Word. Make God's Word a part of you. And then observe the Word. It's not enough to hear the Word or even to understand it, but we must apply it to our lives. God's Word is holy instruction and direction from our loving Father to His precious children. But sadly, too many view God's Word as a book of rules that limits how much fun we can have. We look at the Bible and we try to find a loophole so that we can continue living our sinful lives and still feel okay about it. If the pastor at our church won't tell us, we'll find another pastor. If the pastors won't tell us, we'll find somebody who's not even a Christian to tell us that the way we're living is okay. Guys, what the pastor says is not the standard. What the world says is not the standard. What your Christian friend or your unsafe friend says is not the standard. The Word of God is the standard. And so the Word of God, so too often we're trying to find, oh, I want to have fun. And you know what, God, guys, God is not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. We're trying to find a loophole so we can juggle knives. Can't I just juggle? No. Why? It's so fun. Yeah, you're going to have fingers on the floor in a minute. That's why. You know, we love our kids enough that we keep them from harm, and yet we don't trust that God loves us enough to do the very same thing. We're imperfect parents. He's our perfect heavenly Father. Lord, you know what? Let me devour your word. Let me get this instruction and live it out because, Lord, I trust that you know what is best for me. It reveals our sinfulness, our need for a Savior. It doesn't keep us from, from fun. It keeps us from harm. So hear the word. Open the Bible. Come to church. Listen to tapes. Learn the Word. Study that you might understand what you have heard. And then observe the Word. Apply it to your life. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll heed My words. If you love Me, you'll obey Me. Amen? So don't say you love God. Let's live like we love Him. Amen? 
one of my boys asked me yesterday, uh, you know, it's funny how your kids will ask you questions. And, uh, you know, Christianity is often more caught than taught. Amen? You know, the time you drive through the drive through window and they give you back change for a 20 when you gave them a 5, your kids are watching. Amen? You give it back, you do what's right, you do what's godly. But my son said to me, well, Dad, you know, it was some form, and he said, you know, Dad, if, if you made a dollar over this amount, it's going to cost you all this much money, so by making one extra dollar, it's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars more in taxes. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be easier just to say you made a dollar less? I said it'd be easier, and it'd be sin, and it'd be wrong. But, Dad, no but. Do we put a price on our character? Is there a price Okay, I'll honor God unless it's worth this amount of money, then I won't honor Him anymore. I'll honor God when it's God gives me 50 cents too much in change, but if somebody accidentally puts $10,000 in my bank account, I'm going to be oblivious to that. You know, do we put a price tag on when we obey? Is there a level? Guys, we should obey Him no matter what. No matter what. As believers, followers, not just hearing the Word, not just learning the Word, but observing the Word. Obedience indeed is the highest form of worship. It says that you may observe them, observe the Word, in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Now again, entering into the Spirit-filled life, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, crossing over the Jordan. As you cross over, there should be an evidence in the way that you live. Now, does that mean you're never going to sin again? What's the answer? No, you're going to sin. And I, you've heard me say it before, we don't, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And you know what? As Christians, when we sin, we should be convicted by our sin. Again, the statutes, the law, was not meant to just deliver them from the wilderness, but to keep them in the place of blessing. We're not just to obey to earn something from God. We obey as an act of faith, that God knows what is best for us. You know what? One thing that's under attack big time in the church today, and it's always been true, is marriages. As your pastor, probably, I would say 80% of the phone calls I get involve marriage relationships. And it grieves and breaks the heart of God to see what is happening in Christian marriages today. The problem in the marriage is not your spouse. The problem in the marriage is us laying down our lives completely before the Lord. Amen? And it's amazing how I'll counsel someone that's in their third marriage with the same set of problems. Because the problem is giving Christ the center of our marriages. Amen? Making Him the priority. Maybe you've got an unsafe spouse. Maybe your spouse is out of control. You know what? That person needs to be dealt with by God. But you handle the part of the marriage that you can. You be godly. You be sold out. You be set apart. You be passionately in love with the Lord and let God deal with your spouse. Amen? You know what? That's what the Lord would have us to do. But sadly, there's so, so often that we want to escape. We want to get out. We want to leave. We want to bail. We don't have biblical grounds to do so. You know what? We need to trust the Word of God as the... But my friends say. But my counselor told me. But my... Stop. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Pastor Dave, you're being kind of direct this morning, even more than usual. But you know what? I, God has been lighting a fire in my heart for my own life to live holy and set apart unto Him. And Lord, I give you every aspect of my life, just not the easy parts. Amen? Verse 2. When you cross over, that you may fear the Lord 
your God. That you may have awe and reverence of God's greatness, His holiness, His power, His voice from Sinai. Remember it and don't forget it when you heard the voice of God speaking from Sinai as He speaks to this next generation. Some of them were little kids when it happened. The parents have all died. If God speaks, a six-year-old remembers. Amen? They remember. Don't forget the voice of God. Have a holy fear of God's righteous judgment against sin. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom. Amen? It's only the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear God, you have no wisdom. You have no fear of judgment. No fear of sin's consequences. I tell you, my heart absolutely breaks at some of the things I see going on where people are just living in complete and total rebellion against God. People who I've sat with, I've worshipped with, I've walked with, I've ministered to, and to see them in complete rebellion against God and acting like it's no big deal, my heart breaks. Guys, if you're living a life in rebellion against God right now, you need to, to quit trusting in your flesh and in yourself and give your life back to Him. Amen? You've heard me say it before, it's a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Amen? He's a loving and gracious Heavenly Father. Where you're headed is only to, to destruction. There's no fear of God. We need to get a fear of God again. Our country needs a fear of God. Amen? Right now, God is mocked, and He needs to be feared. We're going to take His name off of everything. Why? Because it reminds us there's a God. Guys, if we wipe out His name, it doesn't wipe out His existence. Amen? They can wipe out His name all they want. He's still going to be God. He's still going to be in control, and there's still going to be judgment one day. And He's still a God of love and grace and mercy that they continue to ignore as He reaches out to them day after day saying, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. So He says, remember these commandments, observe them that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and commandments which I command you. Now look at this. You and your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Notice that he says God's command is to be observed, but also handed down to the next generation. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, there's only two offensive weapons mentioned. You know, in the armor of God, you got the breastplate, of, you know, and you got the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And the, every one of those are defensive weapons to defend you against the attacks of the enemy. There's only two offensive weapons. Some of you are saying, well, I think there's only one, the sword, right? Well, the sword, the Word of God is a weapon, but there's one other weapon that's talked about in Scripture. And it's the arrows that are shot forward into the next generation. Our children, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, right? His quiver of what? Arrows, his children that are shot into the next generation. Guys, the way we impact the next generation is we have an impact on our children who will go on into that next generation. Amen? You know what, guys, that, that is such an important part of what we do at Calvary Chapel is ministering to our children. I mean, I, I didn't plan on saying this, but I'm going to step aside for a second to say something from my heart. People have got, come up to me and said, Pastor Dave, why did you go back and get a job? We can just stay at the VHM. It's fine. We're fine there. You know, and you know what? In a way, it is fine. But here's the truth, guys. The reason we're looking for another place is to have something more adequate to minister to our children and if I have to work the next 30 years so we can minister to our kids more effectively, then that's what I'm going to do. And I, my prayer would be that you understand, I'm, I'm, no less, I'm more committed today than I've ever been to the work here at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. But you know what? Paul made tents and so can our pastors. Amen? Do you understand that? 
I hope that people are saying, well, Pastor, it's just not right. You know what's not right? It's being a facility where people don't feel good leaving their children because it's not adequate. We're just not going to do that anymore. We're just not going to do that. And you know what? I know, I know the Lord is the one that's prompted my heart. And by the way, I get to go out and share my faith all day with unbelievers, so I like that too. So that's good. So he's saying to you, your son and your grandson, God's word is as applicable to us today as the day it was written. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when people try to attack the word of God, you know what? We need to be pressing it into the next generation. God's word is perfect. It's without error. People say to me, what's filled with error? Show me one. I've yet to get an answer to that question. Sometimes there's more detail in one of the Gospels than another, and they'll try to say, well, it only says two. Here, here, there's a multitude. Well, two is part of a multitude. Show me a contradiction. There aren't any. But you show me any other book written by men, and it's filled with holes. Because this book was not written by men, it was written by God. And then he says that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. You may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. When we obey God, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? Now, I'm not talking about name and acclaim it, blessing. I'm not talking about you go out and live for God so He'll give you a bunch of stuff. He may choose to entrust a lot of His stuff into your care because He knows you will be a good steward of it. But we are not pursuing stuff, we're pursuing the Lord. We don't pursue the Lord so we'll get stuff. We pursue the Lord trusting He'll give us just exactly the amount we need. Amen? We pursue Him, and He will help our lives to prosper. The truth is that, you know, I can only use myself as an example, and I hope you don't go weird with me talking about myself. But you know what? You know, my wife and I live in the smallest house we've ever, you know, each of our houses have gotten smaller and smaller. We're like in the reverse order of the world, right? The first house is the biggest one. They keep getting smaller. And can I tell you, I have more joy than I've ever had. Who cares? Amen? You know why? Because And I feel more blessed than I've ever been. I don't go, oh, I was really blessed when I had that really big house. You know what? God doesn't... Blessing is walking in the center of will and having intimate fellowship with the Creator of the universe. That's blessing. Amen? And knowing Him intimately and personally, and then having, you know, hey, we don't get rained on. It's all good. Amen? We're all blessed. If they obeyed His commands, their lives would be long and they would be filled with blessing. If they did not obey, they could expect to be cursed or righteously judged by God. Now today, our sins have been forgiven. We're under the New Covenant. We've been talking about this every week in Hebrews. We're on the Old Covenant anymore. We live under grace, but as we live under grace, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We do live under grace. Our salvation isn't based on our works. But again, sin still has consequences. Rebellion still has consequences. We could probably sit here for the next 10 months and have one person at a time come up and talk about the consequences of sin in their life. Is that true or not? There was a time I did, and here's what happened. And then I did, you know, I thought I knew better than God, and I did this, and you know what, it didn't work out. And then I disobeyed God, and I did it. And then we could get up for the, for the next 10 years and have people get up and say, you know what, I obeyed God, and here's what He did. I trusted God, and look how He blessed. And this is the exhortation as they're about to head in. Moses is going to stay behind. They're going in. Guys, remember the Word of God. Don't just hear it. Don't just learn it, but live it. Observe it. Walk in it. And God will bless you. He will care for you. He loves you. He's a faithful God. You've heard me say it before. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. 
God knows it will bring harm. God loves you. He knows what's best for you. Trust Him. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is known as the Shema. This is the most quoted verse by Jewish Jewish people who follow Orthodox Judaism today. They quote it every morning when they get up. They quote it every night when they go to bed. And they quote it over and over. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Most quoted verse. Now, the word one there, ichad, means a compound unity. In Genesis 2.24, says the two shall become one flesh. So the word one there speaks of a plural becoming one. Plural being one. The two shall become one flesh. So in marriage, we are one flesh. In Exodus 26, when it talks about all the class that hold together the tabernacle, it talks about the tent so that the tent would be an ichad, one. The unity made up in the plurality of many parts, becoming one. This points clearly to the Trinity. Here's what this verse actually says. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah, is Ehad. Here's what it means. Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal God, our Elohim, plural word used as if it were singular, one God in three persons, is one. Guys, this is recited every morning by Orthodox Jews and they don't even understand that what they're saying is they're speaking of the Trinity. The Trinity that they reject. Here it is back in Deuteronomy, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ, pointing to the person of the Holy Spirit, that there is one God and we serve one God. Points to the true Messiah. Verse 5. Then it says this. What statute is he talking about? What is the commandment that he's talking about? Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Guess who quoted this verse later? Jesus did. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what's the greatest of all the commandments? They thought no matter which one he said, that they would get him because there'd be another one that he was making less. So they were trying to trip up Jesus. And Jesus responds, as he most often did, just quoting Old Testament Scripture, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, you shall love. Here, love is an action. It's something you do, not just something you feel. It's not enough to say you love somebody. If you love somebody, it will be seen in the way you act. You can tell people you love them all day. And if you treat them like garbage, you don't love them. Amen? Too many men will say, well, I love my wife. Show it. Prove it. Love produces an action. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He, what? He gave. Because He loved, He gave. Guys, if we love, we'll live it. It will impact our lives. It will impact our actions. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Choose to love and your feelings will follow. Love is an act of the will. You know what? All God really wants from you is you to love Him. Because here's what happens, guys. Often we think, well, He wants my money. He wants my time. He wants my effort. He wants my stuff. He wants my... You know what? Does God care about any of that? First of all, does God need money? I'm just curious. Creator of the universe said stars and they were there. Does He need like your... your, your oh, you got you got to have my money. He doesn't care about your money. It's chaff in heaven, amen? Anybody going to be showing up in heaven with quarters? I don't think so, right? 
We think, oh man, God needs my money. No, but you know what? Here's, God, here's the key thing. When we love God with all our heart, all our soul, on our, all our mind, that everything else we have, we will freely give to the Lord. Our money, it's His. Our stuff, it's His. Our time, it's His. Our will, it's His. Lord, it's all Yours because we love You. And we don't give out of, oh, I've got to give. It's, Lord, I love You. Who else am I going to give to? Who else am I going to follow? Who else am I going to obey? Who else am I going to serve? Who else am I going to get up and talk about with great boldness than the one that I'm madly in love with? Lord, it's all Yours. Lord, help us to live this verse. To love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our inner person, completely yielded to the Lord, open to His Word, ministered to by His Spirit, knowing again that the feelings will follow. All the commandments are wrapped up in this one. Jesus again called it the greatest commandment. Then He said, second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I found this to be true. When you love God, you won't serve other gods. Amen? If you truly love God, you won't make idols, right? If you truly love God, you won't take God's name in vain. Amen? Here, here's the Ten Commandments. I'm just going down them, and I, what I'm trying to tell you is when we love God, the rest of it takes care of itself. If we love God, we won't kill our neighbor. Amen? And we won't steal his stuff. Amen? If you just love God passionately, the rest of this stuff will be evident in your life. Not because you're trying to live according to a bunch of rules, but you're so in love with the Lord that it impacts the person that you are. You know, often I see in just the smallest consequence the real reflection of someone's heart. My family and I were out at a Mexican restaurant recently, and a guy was sitting next to me, a guy that I know, with his family, and his daughter accidentally knocked a cup of water on him, and you would have think someone shot him seven times in the chest. He jumped up from the table, he started exclaiming and screaming and going, I'm like, dude... You know, what that's a reflection of is someone's heart. Amen? If you, whoa, bro, where's your heart? Relax. Couple, I don't care if it's a cup of hot coffee. You, you know, you might jump up because it's hot. You, should, you ought to be responding in a Christ-like way. Amen? When you squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. When you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. Amen? You ought to see Jesus coming out of us. All right? Verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart not on your bookshelf amen these words which i command you today shall be in your heart not on your bookshelf not put away well i got a bunch of bibles i'm really spiritual i just got the latest newest abridged version of the thing and i go look look at all these things you know what instead of collecting 50 of them read one amen get one down wipe the dust off of that thing open it up and read it People are always pursuing the next latest, greatest Bible. By the way, all the Bibles have the same words in them if they're really the... You know, amen? So let's just read what's in there. But this has got better notes at the bottom. Notes are fine, but guys, read the Bible. The notes are secondary. Read the Bible. God's Word must be the priority. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in your heart that I might not sin against thee. It's more than just knowledge of God's Word in our heads but the transforming work of God's Word upon our hearts. God writes His Word upon our hearts and we become living epistles that others can read. The Bible says that the overflowing of a man's heart is mouth speak. You want to know what's in your heart? Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Then it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
give you a second to think about that. We need to get up, you underline, highlight. Bring them to Calvary Chapel so they might teach them diligently to your children. Is that what it says? Enroll them in Christian school so they might teach them diligently. You might do both of those things, and those are great, but the number one place your kids should be learning about Jesus is from you. God's called you to be the spiritual leader. God's called you to be the one who ministers to your children. It says, teach them diligently. It doesn't happen by accident. It requires a conscious decision and a concerted effort to get God's Word deep into the hearts of our children. Again, it requires effort, but it's worth it. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. Guys, you want to see your kids on fire for God at 20? Teach them about the love of God when they're two. Amen? And three and four and five and every number in between. Amen? Keep teaching them. Have family devotions. Do Bible stories. Have prayer time. Write the memory verses on the chalkboard. Make God's Word the priority in their lives. They ought to know the Word of God better than they know Xbox. Amen? They need to know the Word of God, not just teaching their children, but living it out before them, talking about God and His Word all day long. It says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What does that leave? Talk about them all the time. Amen? When you're standing up, talk about them. When you're lying down, talk about them. When you're sitting down, talk about them. When you're walking, talk about them. Wherever you go, be talking about Him. Sometimes people will say, well, man, all you want to talk about is Jesus. What else is there to talk about? Guys, it's more caught than taught. Let's live it out in front of our kids, amen? Let them see us on fire for God all the time. Then it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, some have misunderstood this verse. The... Jewish people have actually taken it literally and what they've done is they would write the words in a box and put the box on their hand and then wrap it around. The phylacteries, you ever seen these? They'll take some put them on their head and tie it around their head. Now I've got it between my eyes and on my hand. Do you think that's what God meant? Put it in a little scripture, put it in a box and tie it on your hand? No. It needs to be before our eyes. Not, not here. Here. Amen? Not tied to my hand, but in my hand. Amen? Take it with us wherever we go. They were doing that, and Jesus condemned the abuse of wearing... They used to think they were more spiritual if they wore really big ones. So you bigger the box, the more spiritual you were. I get to see a guy with like a U-Haul box. You know what I mean? Walking around. I'm really spiritual. I got four scrolls in there, man. I'm just walking around. So tragic. You know, it's interesting that the Antichrist takes this same thing and, and brings an imitation, doesn't he? Because where is the mark of the beast going to be taken? Instead of hiding God's word in our heart, let's put the mark of the beast on. It's amazing, isn't it, how he always tries to copy what God does. But you know what? He's weak. Jesus condemned this abuse and made again. Now, it's interesting. It says you should write them on your doorposts. Well, now the Jewish people have mezuzahs. You know what those are? They'll take a mezuzah, they'll, they'll you know, screw it on their door, they'll put a scripture in it, and then they'll go and they'll touch it on the way in every day. And again, but is that what he meant? Have something with scripture scrambling it and touch it when you go by? You know, we're turning God into a genie or something. No, that's not what it's about. 
But you know what? I love it when I walk into a home and I see the Word of God, whether it be in a poster or some artwork or something, on people's walls. That's good stuff. Amen? You know, my, my family theme verse is probably the theme verse of more Christian families than any other theme verse. What do you think it might be? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't know how many times that's on the walls of my house, but it's, it's a dozen or more. But it's a constant reminder. Every room I walk, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a reminder. Again, it's not something hidden in a box. But our houses should be filled with the Word of God. The music that plays through our house ought to be the music that magnifies the name of God. Scripture's on the wall. If you call my home, my answering machine says, you reach the Johnson residence, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Please leave your name, number, and a brief message. We'll get right back to you. Jesus loves you. God bless you, and have a great day. You know, and people call that are selling stuff, and they get ministered to by the answering machine. Guys, we need to just get the Word of God everywhere. Christian books, Christian movies, memory verse on the wall, Bible studies, devotions, and then we need to go the next step and remove the stuff that would contradict the Word of God. Not just put the Word of God up, but take the stuff contrary and take it down. Amen? We're going to confuse our kids. Well, they say they love God, but they've got movies that, that curse His name. How does that work? They say they love God. You know, guys, we set the standard for our homes and for our children. So point number one, exhorting them to make the Word of God the priority in their hearts, in their children, in their lives, and in their homes. Number two, warnings about things that will cause them to forget God's command. Verse 10, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. God blesses them with wells they didn't dig, vineyards they didn't plant, you know, food they didn't grow, gives them everything they could want, and He says, beware lest when that happens you forget God. This is a warning for us. An inherent danger in the midst of God's rich blessings is to forget all that God has delivered us from. We're in the land of milk and honey. We forget about Egypt. We forget about God's deliverance. We forget about God's incredible grace. And we start to say, well, I don't need God anymore. I'm set. And that happens to too many Christians today. That the only, you know, we have crisis Christianity. We turn to God in the midst of difficulty. I had a neighbor, a next-door neighbor that used to tell me, yeah, the only time I pray is when I'm going through a really tough time. And man, I've been going through a lot of tough times lately. And I said, you know, maybe God misses you. <laughs> only time that guy comes around, man, all right, well, I flat tire, you know, I lost job. You know what I mean, right? Like, I, I want to get this guy looking up, right? Because that's really what matters. You know what? Physical blessings can produce spiritual amnesia. We can forget the Lord and no longer be desperate for Him. Guys, we need to be desperate for Him whether there's $10 million in the bank account or our refrigerator's empty and we don't know what we're going to eat on our next meal. Amen? The Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and you shall take oaths in His name. There's a lack of godly fear. 
fear, again, that inner repulsion at the idea of offending such a great and loving God who has done so much for us. I said this on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago. I'd rather get hit by a bus and be, and be killed than cheat on my wife. Number one, because I love, my, you know, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my testimony. But you know what? Above all, because I love God. Because it would harm Him. Guys, the next time you get ready to say something that will harm the, the name of God, Lord, may it pierce us to realize we're not just doing damage to our testimony, we're harming the one who loves us. God, bring a godly reverence upon our lives, upon everything we say. And guys, I want to tell you right now, I fall short of it. There's times I say things I shouldn't and I'm convicted. There's times I think things I shouldn't and I'm convicted. But guys, that's a sign that we're His, that we're convicted. Amen? And now we should respond to that conviction and start living for Him. Fear God and serve Him. Not fear God and keep Him on the shelf. Fear God and serve Him. We all ought to be serving the Lord. Amen? Serving God is not a, you know, it's not something we, we can do or think about doing. We need to serve Him with our whole heart. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus to avoid the cross and win, and you know, win back the world by worshiping Him, this is what he quoted to him. Him alone you shall serve. God alone you shall serve. Amen? And we take oaths only in His name. You swear an oath only in the name of the Lord, not in the name of any other God. Remember, they're heading into a land that's going to be filled with idolatry, and the temptation is going to be to go after the foreign gods, the false gods. Guys, we live in a land of idolatry too. We don't have maybe big golden idols put up everywhere unless you go to a Chinese restaurant. You probably see one there. But most of the time, the idols are the things of this world that can distract us from the true and living God. Verse 14 and 15. You shall, fear the, you shall not go after other gods and the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Uh, how does God feel about it when we worship other gods? Isn't it amazing God hasn't smoked Santa Cruz? I'm being serious. You know why God hasn't smoked Santa Cruz? I'm convinced. Because there's people here that He knows are going to be saved. Amen? And because there's a godly remnant who He brought here to be salt and light and to represent Him. And that's the people in this room. God wants to use us to reach out to those. Because you open up the sentinel and they're serving every god under the sun. Every false thing, every, every tree, every bush, every frog, every toad. I mean, everything, right? Rather than the true and living God. Amen? But you know what? We need to share with them the hope that lies within us. He's expanding on those. Don't go after other gods. He's a jealous God. The anger of the Lord. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It's not an excuse for sinful behavior. This is a clear warning that had already been violated. They'd seen the golden calf. They'd worshipped the, the idols that they got from the Moabite women. At both times, God brought righteous judgment upon them. Again, the idols are anyone or anything we worship in the place of God. Verse 16, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massa. Massa was a place where they had no water. And when they had no water, they questioned God. They questioned His authority. They questioned His ability to care for them. They complained against the Lord instead of trusting in Him. Guys, has anybody else besides me ever done that? Things get tough, and instead of going to God and saying, Oh, Lord, help me. Lord, you know what? You know what I'm going through? I'm desperate for you right now. 
Lord, I need your help. Have you ever gone and said, Lord, why did you let this happen? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I love you. What? Why did you let this happen? Don't you care? Oh, yeah, no. Sorry, Dave. I, yeah, I turned away for a minute. I didn't see that coming. That's not what God does. You know what? He's numbered the hairs of my head, which not not that many, but you know what? He cares about every detail of my life and every detail of yours, far beyond on what you care. Amen? And if He allows it to come, He's doing it that He might be glorified. But sadly, they mocked God in the midst of it. They tempted the Lord by questioning Him. We are never to order or demand God to do anything. I hear people pray that way. Please don't pray that way in front of me. Because I might have to come muzzle you or something. I hear people say that. Well, God, you need to this. And God, we, we demanded God. And we... Oh. Here's our prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I don't tell you. You tell me. Lord, you know what's perfect. You show me. I follow you. Amen? Aren't you glad God doesn't hear those prayers? Doesn't listen to those prayers? I mean, aren't you glad? He did a bunch of people getting all riled up and telling God what to do. And he, man, praise God, didn't listen to any of that noise, right? The only part about it is the consequences that can come. The third point, the blessings of obedience. Let's look. We're going to get to the last part fairly quickly. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you, and you shall do right what is right and, and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord God has sworn to your fathers. You know what? For the children of Israel, obedience would, would produce blessing and disobedience would produce cursing. Today, our sin is forgiven by His blood, not our good works. We have a, we've been transformed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The disobedience still has consequences and obedience still results in God's blessing. Amen? We all know that. God is gracious, but He will not bless disobedience. People want to disobey God, walk in rebellion against God, and wonder why they're struggling. Why are things so tough for me? I can't figure it out. You know why? Because God loves you enough to not make it good for you when you're in the midst of rebellion. Sin results in broken fellowship and consequences. Verse 19. To cast out all your enemies, God will be faithful, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When we do what is right, on the other hand, God will give us His highest. He will defeat the enemy. When temptation comes, He will make the way of escape. And again, the temptations will not only be an opportunity to fall, which they are, but more importantly, they're opportunities to grow. It's those tests that, that help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes it's a small test. Like I said before, water spilt at a table in a restaurant. It can be great things like health and family and finances. It can be a flat tire, a sudden illness, a lost wallet. You know what, guys? The world is watching how we respond. An obnoxious waiter, a traffic jam. Nobody else has ever got upset in a traffic jam, I know. But, you know, those, those things where, you know, we can just, because we're walking in the flesh. The way we respond to these circumstances and situations will indicate what's in our heart. If we're in a habit of thanking the Lord in everything, including the painful experiences of life, then the Holy Spirit will fill our hearts with praise instead of Satan filling us with bitter venom. Amen? When the stuff comes, you say, all right, Lord, it's okay. 
You know, I haven't given you all the details, and we're going to go a little longer today because we started late, so that's all right. Um, I haven't given you all the details because I just don't want you on the roller coaster ride, but we've put offers in on like six or seven buildings. And every time it just looks like it's a perfect thing and everything's going on, and then for whatever, seemingly no reason, they just, oh, never mind, now we don't want to do it. And it keeps happening. We can just go, this, you know, Lord, but you're telling it. But look, you know what, guys? Here's the good news. God is in control. And so if God doesn't want us there, we don't want to be there. Amen? So if they say no, you say, praise God. And they go, well, I thought you wanted to move it. Well, we only if God wants us there. And if you're saying no, God must not, must not want us there, so praise God. I don't know. These people are weird. But yeah, the point is, we need to get to that place where we trust the Lord that no matter what happens, my dad's going through it. You guys know my dad's been, I don't know how long it's been now. It seems like 10 years, but I think it's been eight weeks, nine weeks, something like that. He's doing a little bit better. He's got that, he's got that uh, infection that's been killing people all over the country, that staph infection on steroids. It's called MRSA or MRSA. He's got MRSA. He's got that. But you know what? In the midst of it, my dad this week has started going through the bulletin to call uh, the, the church ready to call everybody to encourage you. And you know what? I say, praise God. Finish strong, Dad. Amen? Let's, guys, in the midst of it, let's say, God, you're in control. I trust you. Not mock God, not blame God, not question God. We get to heaven, we'll find out it was all according to His perfect will. God's faithful. Last five verses. Then it says, when your sons ask you, the last point is, reminding the next generation. Look what it says. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is this meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments? which the Lord God has commanded you, you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with His mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes and great and, great and severe against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his households. Then He brought us out from there that He might bring us in to give us the land which He swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all the statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always that He might pres- preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Their testimony was to be something that they taught to their children. Guys, can I encourage you? If your kids are in the service and we take communion, have communion with your children. Sit down with them and explain to them what it means. Amen? Even if I've already explained it, explain it to him again. Why do we take communion, Dad? You're six-year-old. Why, do we, why are we drinking juice? And, what is this, Dad? Well, you know what? This is a reminder of what Jesus said. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood. It's a reminder of the cross of Calvary and the work of God's grace. As they would continue to walk in these statutes, there would be a reminder to them of all that God had done for them. And the same is true for us. Why do we go to church on Sunday, Dad? Because we go there to worship the God who saved us, our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King. Why do we observe communion? Why do we give of our finances, Dad? I think it's good to let your children know that you give to the Lord. I think it's good to let your children know you know, why do you serve? Dad, why do you go early to set up chairs? Why do you, you know, why do we do, why are you sharing your faith? Why did you start a Bible study at work? Why, each of these is an opportunity to tell our kids about what God has done for us. Amen? To remind them. We as parents need to relate our, to our kids our testimony. Tell them how you came to know Christ so our children understand their need for Him. We need to teach them not only what God's Word says, 
but the reasons we are to obey it for, good, for our good always. We need to teach them and to remind them that God's Word, again, His commandments are not confining and restricting, but blessing and freeing. I've never had anybody say, I'm glad I disobeyed God. Never. I'm really glad I did that. It was so fun. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. Don't think you can, roll, you know, quote, roll the dice and get away with it. You will regret your sin. There's such a huge lack of godly fear. Shaking fists at God. Deuteronomy is 30 cha- chapters of Moses pleading with God's people not to sin or rebel. 30 chapters of don't. 30 chapters of trust God. This is just one of 66 books. Amen? And God keeps telling us, and we keep people still say, well, the word of God's kind of silent on that point. No, it's not. Well, there's no direct thing there that's... Yes, it does. Are you telling me, Pastor, the word of God addresses everything in life? Yes, it does. Absolutely. It absolutely does. Guys, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May we do all things, not out of a selfish ambition, but out of love for our Savior. Guys, does He love you? Shouldn't we love Him back? We should love Him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. For the love of God, exhorting them to make God's Word the priority. May we make God's Word the priority in our lives. Number two, warning them that there are things that will cause them to forget God's commands. Physical blessings can cause us to forget God. A lack of godly fear. The serving of false gods. Disobedience. Then we saw the blessings of obedience. And finally, God's commands are a constant reminder of God's deliverance. A constant thing that we can pass on to the next generation. Guys, I pray this would not be another Bible study. But that we would not just hear the Word, but we would learn the Word. And more importantly, we would observe the Word. We'd start living it out in every aspect of life. Amen? And that there would be no aspect of our life that God doesn't have a hold of. Lord, we give it all to You. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we worship You, Lord. We thank You for Your incredible love You've shown toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No greater act of love in the history of all mankind. Your Word says, Greater love of no man than this, that He laid down His life for a friend. And Lord, as You laid down Your lives for us, help us to lay down our lives for You. Lord, we know, ultimately, it will not be us giving up anything, but gaining everything as we walk in the center of Your will, as we have intimate fellowship with the Creator of the universe, what in the world does the world have to offer compared to that? Nothing is greater. No one is greater. Lord, I truly want us as a church to experience a taste of what heaven's going to be like. We will have intimate fellowship with You forevermore. I pray we begin to have that intimate fellowship with You right now. Help us, Lord. Lord, we know we can't do any of this on our own. We know without You we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, strengthen us to walk in the center of Your will, to love You the way You love us. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit. You are such a great and awesome God. We thank, Lord, where would we be without You? Lord, what would our lives be like if we didn't know You? We just thank You. We can't thank You enough. And Lord, I do want to close in praying for our children, for that next generation. I pray, Lord, that we would be an example to them in our home, 
Lord, that we would take what You've taught us and give it to the next generation. I pray, Lord, they would not only hear it at church, but they would hear it at home from their parents. And Father, I pray they would be arrows shot into the next generation if You should tarry to bring revival to this county. Use our kids, Lord. We love You. We praise You. Can't wait to see You. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.